Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. You're listening to Baltimoreans, the home of the all-weather fan. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. Let's get stupid. Baltimoreans. Hello, Baltimoreans. How are y'all doing? I hope that it is uh, surviving. I hope you're making it through out there after what was a thoroughly demoralizing series in Arizona. May I may I tell you a brief tale, Alan Smith? Let's get the fuck out of Phoenix first. <laughs> Spiritually, in our case. <laughs> yes. Uh, that's going to take me a couple days to to extract my battered soul from that uh, hot desert wasteland. It is amazing how three games in a row we managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory. Well, here's the, here's the tale I want to tell you. I don't know if you have noticed, but I am in a situation this evening where I have some some really scary-looking scratch marks on the left side of my neck. <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed them. It doesn't matter if you have. Uh, they're there. I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> uh, those are because I am a person who has made a choice to live with a very wonderful um, and rambunctious cat <laughs> to which I am allergic. Ah. So I have a sensitive skin situation, um, and uh, I, I and and, I, and it causes me to scratch. Now that is usually something I can keep under control, except during extra inning West Coast baseball games <laughs> in the midst of the pennant race. And last night, watching the first of the two extra inning games against the Diamondbacks that the Orioles blew, uh, I was clawing at my skin. <laughs> To, with a degree of forcefulness that I don't think I initially realized, uh, resulting in me waking up today and saying, wow, that's a pretty raw patch of uh, scratched up skin on the left side of my neck. And when mm. I got to work today, a number of people actually said to me, like, wow, looks like you had a wild night. They thought <laughs> that I was up all night screwing my brains out with somebody who is was just a real hellcat. <laughs> which is what a man from the 1950s would have called it. Uh, but no, I was clawing at my face while watching a baseball game. Fantastic. Mm. The joys of an Orioles fan. <laughs> uh, it's been a rough couple days. It's been a rough couple days. We have some things to say about it. Uh, we're very glad that you're tuned in to the show. The show, of course, is called Baltimoreans. You can find it <laughs> in the iTunes store. You can find it at BaltimoreOnsPodcast.com. And, as of quite recently, we are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Report Network, which is available for your listening in toto with our sister wife podcasts at <laughs> BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network. All of whom are also fiery hellcats. <laughs> uh, Later on in this very program, we are, we are thrilled uh, to have a very exciting actual real live guest. Yes. Um, Neil DeMoss, who is the author of a book called Field of Schemes, is going to be with us. Uh, if those of you who cannot guess from the title Field of Schemes what this is going to be about, it's just going to be a continuation of my long-standing bone to pick with professional sports ownership. So get excited about that. <laughs> As we explained it to Neil DeMoss, uh, Alan kind of covers the political implications of the ins and outs of um, <laughs> sports ownership beat here on the show, whereas I tend to uh, cover the talking in funny voices beat 
And uh, between the two of us, well, we, we put something out every week. <laughs> we definitely uh, we definitely take our cuts. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, Alan, before we get to all that, I believe you, you had some, some things you wanted to well, let people know. You know, here we are uh, at episode 62. And we know a few things about the episode 62 before we even begin. It's funny that I should say before we even begin, because we're now at least seven minutes into the program. But (laughs) (laughs) before we even begin, uh, we knew already that um, German cocaine enthusiast Sigmund Freud (laughs) would never have listened to this program. Because he had a well-documented fear of the number 62. To the really? point where he was unwilling to stay in any hotel room n- called 62, number 62, or even any hotel with more than 62 rooms for fear he would accidentally end up in hotel number 62. Thank God the man died before the era of the high-rise or he would have had a third anxiety. <laughs> he also assumed that he was going to live to be 62 years old, which turned out not to be true when he died at 83. But he, uh, he throughout his life, had a terror terror. A terror of the number 62. We also know that the letters of 62 can be rearranged to spell witty socks. (laughs) We do know that. A fact that takes on a chilling meaning when we realize that despite any rational reason for this being the case, the Red Sox are still somehow four games up on the field of the American League East and a shocking 6.5 games up on your Baltimore Orioles as of this recording. And there is there is nothing witty about that. <laughs> They've done it under the limelight and with very little fanfare, given the high-profile Sox teams of past years. Uh, and in many ways, uh, they've just become the baseball version of Robert Mugabe. Oh, wow. <laughs> they that are to baseball as Robert Mugabe is to elections. They just win, Sam. They just win. <laughs> you don't always know how, and you may have questions about how it all went down, but they're just winners. Um, and if you accept that file, metaphor, file that, <laughs> file that under uh, lines I didn't think you were ever going to cross, Alan Smith. <laughs> if, you, if you're okay with that metaphor, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm. If the Red Sox are Robert Mugabe, then the other Sox might be more like Charles Schwartz of Detroit, Michigan. Charles, born about 1904 in American history. Uh, over his career as a socialist seeking office, managed managed to be defeated 23 times at the ballot box. Ooh. Good for a tie for first place in American history as the most defeated politician of all time. Man. The White Sox, of course, sit at the opposite end of the spectrum from their Eastern Sox neighbors, having lost, as of today, 72 games to pair nicely with the Red Sox 72 wins. I, I don't know if nicely is the <laughs> pairing. Uh, well, the Sox are 500. That's the important takeaway. Oh, I see. I see. Okay. <laughs> and as we record here on August 14th, 2013, 2013, 2013, we sit in awe of the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which opened today, 38 years ago, at the USA Theater in Westwood, Los Angeles, making it the longest running movie of all time by quite a fair margin. Since its release, the film has taken in more than $365 million at the U.S. box office, plus DVD sales, merchandising sales, etc., and uh, which is pretty impressive considering that its original budget was just $1.4 million. Hmm. An excellent return on investment. Indeed. Unlike the Baltimore Orioles payroll so far this year. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of return on investment, we're going to get 
into the weeds on that particular subject <laughs> with Neil DeMoss. Um, but uh, it, it's, I have to say, if I've taken anything away from your intro, Alan, and I've, I've taken away a lot, um, the, the, I would have to say it's, it's nice to know that there is a third Charles Sh in, uh, in, in the historical pantheon because my, ah. my Charles Sh triangle was missing a point. <laughs> I had Charles Schultz in uh, the lower left. Right. I had Charles Schwab in the lower right. Uh, two gentlemen who I think it's impossible to argue have been anything but successful. Uh, only one of whom has any real connection to baseball. Although Charles which, Schultz has... Which, a, which one? Well, you know, uh, the, the kids from Peanuts uh, played a fair amount of baseball Yeah, in the, in the well, comic strips. Well, why would Charles Schwab have anything to do with baseball? Charles Schwab? Oh, he doesn't. Okay. He doesn't. No, no, no. That, he's, he's the one that doesn't. Got it. Uh, but I, my, my triangle now has a 66% baseball relationship ratio. Great. R- ratio factor. It's hard to say that my Charles has anything to do with baseball whatsoever. He was a socialist. Well, he was mentioned in the same <laughs> breath as baseball. Fair enough. Which is as close as we often come on, on this program. Well, Smith, um, speaking, speaking of, uh, of baseball... We, we very rarely are. <laughs> in the words... In the words of, uh, well, to paraphrase a commenter on the Orioles portion of Reddit today, uh, <laughs> Baltimoreans, I enjoy that show, though they rarely talk about baseball. Uh, um, well, we're going to buck the trend. All right. See what I did there? Nice. And uh, Bring and, in Jim Johnson? And, no! Too no, soon. No, we're never doing that again. And, and that's exactly what I want to talk about, Alan. Um, I'd like to propose a paradigm shift in the way that we talk about saves oh um and and specifically blown saves is this baseball wide or just on the orioles um well uh, part of it's baseball wide okay um and uh, the only orioles part is that i would i would like to see us not give jim johnson any more <laughs> save opportunities but but the baseball wide thing i want to talk about is uh, i was thinking about the the logic behind the term save ah um and it really is is quite silly right because uh, a save Someone being credited with saving the game suggests that the team did all they could to lose the game. And then this, this brave uh, white knight closer mm. came in at the end and saved the game from being lost. Right. When in reality, that is not often the case. Right. Really, your job is not to screw up what your teammates have done in the preceding eight innings. So it's closer is more of an accurate role. You are closing out the game. Yeah. But saving it, I, I don't think, is something we should really be giving you credit for doing. Mm. Um, Especially not Jim Johnson. <laughs> well, so then when we look at blown saves, ah. uh, of which Jim Johnson now has nine, woo! Um, I think we should stop calling them blown saves because as we've just established beyond the shadow of a doubt, they're not saves. They're wins. He has been brought in to close out a win. And so uh, I would like to stop looking at what Jim Johnson has been up to lately as blown saves and start calling them what they are, which is blown wins. Mm. Um, you just mentioned the fact that the Red Sox are six and a half games ahead of the Orioles. A closer is going to blow a few wins over the course of a season. Let's give a decent closer five. Uh huh. So even by that fairly conservative measure, Imagine if we had four more games in the loss column against the Red Sox right now. It would Mm. be a very different race. Mm. But really, 
let's say we had nine more, right? which is what you could argue we should have. We'd be talking about a completely different American League East right now. It's true. And so the question becomes, at what point is continuing to send Jim Johnson out there for reasons of loyalty or whatever it is that is causing that to happen? At which point are we starting to rob ourselves of time to make up that ground? Because as the Spastics were pointing out on their most recent episode, there are, after this, uh, after the conclusion of this road trip, 39 games left. Mm. Six and a half games to make up with 39 to go. Not great. It's not great. Going to have to happen soon. We have discussed many a time on this show that uh, I don't necessarily have all that much stock in the closer mm-hmm. as a position. Mm-hmm. Uh, I very much enjoyed Jim Johnson's virtuoso performance last year um in his late game work sure but i don't necessarily think that it's something that that it it feels to me like something in which you should play more of the hot hand than anyone does so i'm fine i'm fine with not having jim johnson out there anymore i would like him to still be a pitcher in our in our rotation Uh, i think he's good and i think he, he could get he could get his head right but um it's it's really hard over this last little area of time to feel as though um, the rest of the AL East has opened the door. For a while, the Red Sox and the Rays were just on streaks, and they were winning all the time, and they seemed sort of, like, uncatchable. And now they've sort of faltered a little bit, both of them. They've opened the door, and we have steadfastly refused to walk through it. We have stood outside it. Blowing and winds. through stones, <laughs> uh, which is which is really disappointing, and even more disappointing when you consider the fact that Chris Davis is hitting again, and when you consider the fact that like you know uh, everyone, you know Adam Jones had a bad series against the uh, Diamondbacks, but he's been very good recently. He can't do it all himself. Machado has been very good recently. I'm not sure that this offensive production can can continue, and we need to make hay when the sun shines. Well, that that's the thing is, I, I think there's going to be a lot of talk, and there already has been in the last couple of days about how the fact that we lost this series to the Diamondbacks is somehow an indication that this isn't a playoff-ready team. This isn't a team that is built to contend down the stretch run. And earlier in the year, I think there's some validity to that. The more times that the, the loss of a series can be laid squarely at the feet of Jim Johnson, the more I start to think this is a one-guy problem hmm. and this is not a team-wide problem. Because uh, let's, let's expand on this a little bit. One of the other things uh, that um, I think is very interesting to look at when you look at the acquisitions that we made at the trading deadline, uh, bringing in Scott Feldman and Bud Norris. Right. Uh, Th- those guys, neither of them are, are spectacular talents. But do you know what they are? They are professional major league pitchers. Yeah. And what we have done is we have eliminated the uh, Jake Arrieta game mm-hmm. or the Zach Britton game mm-hmm. where they're cruising along for four innings and then they give up eight runs. Right. That kind of game, it does... it. Well, I'm not going to say it's never going to happen again, but it's a lot less likely to happen again. And right. Bud Norris's most recent start and Scott Feldman's re- most recent start are textbook examples of that. Right. In both of those games, they clearly did not have their best stuff. And they cl- they had a couple of innings where they had guys on and they were one pitch away from, talk about leaving the door open, from ripping it off its hinges <laughs> and throwing it into the Arizona dust. Right. 
but they didn't. They kept it together. They kept it together, and they kept the team in the game. Yeah, and then the Orioles' bats, when you keep them within striking distance, they can they can get you a lead. And that's what happened both times. Right. But then you deliver that one, that one or two run lead, which you've had to fight really hard for, to the closer. And yes, over the course of a season, is a closer going to mess that up a couple times? Yeah. Nine times? Nine's a lot of times. It's about four times too many. Uh, didn't Darren Day blow one of those two? Well, that game was tied. Oh, right. Okay. That game was tied. And, and I, again, I'm not going to say that, that, uh, that all of the, you know, that the, all of the Orioles' bad uh, performance in this series is Jim Johnson's fault. They had the bases loaded in the game that just concluded today, and Nate McClouth up, and he hit into a double play. In the 10th inning. In the 10th inning. Um, but at a certain point, all you can really ask the offense to do is to get you to the ninth inning with the lead. Yep. Not every night out. We're not asking for 162 saves. I, one thing I didn't do in preparation for this is come up with a new word to use instead <laughs> of saves. Um, Door slams. Yeah. Um, what do you call epilogues, maybe? No, not epilogues. <laughs> Postscripts? Arias? No, arias mm. are at the beginning of the... Se- Look, the point is... <laughs> um, the, uh, it, at, a, at a certain point... That's all you can ask the offense to do. Uh-huh. And a couple times a week, you need there to be a guy or guys who come in out of the bullpen and take it across the finish line. Right. We don't have that right now. It's and true. we have not had it consistently for most of the season. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I don't think that Buck's going to make a change. Uh, I think that he thinks he knows better, and often he does. So I am emotionally and physically prepared for the continuation of the Jim Johnson era in Baltimore, and I just hope he turns it around. <laughs> I guess, you know, it's one of those things where if we end up missing the playoffs by two by two games in the loss column, it's going to be hard for me to not feel... Right, like this was Jim's year. Like that was easily avoidable. It's true. It's true. Well, Tommy Hunter did pitch three scoreless innings in today's loss. Uh, he did give up zero hits and he only threw 30 pitches well that's good because pretty good addition right there uh, since he is approximately the only competent member of the bullpen (laughs) right now we're gonna need him to maintain that production (laughs) well (laughs) if that's not depressing enough let's (laughs) get into a uh, fantastic discussion potentially even more depressing with uh, author neil demouse um Neil writes about all things stadium-related and the ways in which um, professional sports owners have continued to pull the wool over the eyes of a series of different cities around this great country, um, demanding that folks pony up new stadiums, ever greater tax increases, and all sorts of uh, professional benefits to keep stadiums in town uh teams in town i should say when at the same time um showing very little actual financial remuneration for the city or town in question so uh the great boondoggle that has been american (laughs) professional sports grinds on a pace and here to tell us more about it in just a second is the author of field of schemes neil demoss 
many of you know that the Baltimoreans has, since our conception, had a bone to pick with many of the owners of our great, great sport. Further, uh, we've had more than a few rants about the structure that continues to allow poorly behaved billionaires to jerk around the teams that we love. Well, it turns out that we were right to be mad. Uh, in many ways, more right than we possibly knew. A book, a subsequent blog, and in many ways a movement called Field of Schemes, How the Great Stadium Swindle Turns Public Money into Private Profit, tracks the legion of ways that extremely rich dudes bilk cities and communities out of billions of dollars in new stadium deals, kickbacks, and sweetheart tax loopholes. Uh, one of the authors of Field of Schemes joins us now. Neil DeMoss, welcome to Baltimoreans. I am glad to be here to validate your anger. <laughs> <laughs> That's really what we're, we, we, we need a lot of validation why, on this show. Why are you the first guest who has acknowledged <laughs> that that is what is at the root of this program? <laughs> because I'm exceptionally perceptive. <laughs> Excellent. So in, in the original book and in a lot of your writing, um, you do focus heavily on our fair city of Baltimore. Yeah. Um, well, when we when we uh, first started the research that went into the first edition of the book, lo, those many years ago, um, you know, Camden Yards was one of the new ballparks that was supposed to be a great success, and you know, bringing about revitalization of downtown and all that. And um, I live, lived then and live now in Brooklyn, so it was a nice, convenient drive down I ninety five to go and, and research it. Right. Um, and, you know, as it turned out, it was, I mean, you know, it's a lovely ballpark. I love the place. but like, Thank you. It, yeah. <laughs> um, although I actually have a fun spot for Memorial Stadium as well. I mean, I didn't think it was a, a you know, terrible place. Amen. Um, and, but, you know, it, it certainly has not turned around Baltimore single-handedly or anything like that. Um, and, you know, it... It's just one example of it, you know? I mean, there's the, that's why we went into city after city after city and we saw the same thing. Do you think that the Colts leaving town gave uh, the Orioles carte blanche to sort of demand what they did? I think it helped. Um, you know, obviously the fear of, uh, you know, we don't want to let another team leave or we don't want to be the, you know, the elected officials who had another team leave on our watch um, helped, if nothing else, give uh, some nice cover to it, right? You know, because yeah. you can say, well, we have to do this, you know, we don't. Um, but really, it was the times, you know, um, starting in the 80s, you started having a couple of different uh, sort of dynamics going on. One was that cities more and more were dealing with, you know, uh, both flight to the suburbs and cuts in federal funding and all this stuff by saying, OK, what are we going to do with the limited amount of money that we still have left? I know we'll give it to corporations to locate here. So you really <laughs> saw that whole sort of corporate subsidy thing take off in the 80s and teams like the Orioles started taking advantage of it. Um, and then also, you know, it was sort of, uh, you know, ripe for the moment of both this sort of retro stadium thing to right. come back around and then also all of the uh, luxury suites and especially, you know, one of the things Camden Yards doesn't get enough credit for is really... Um, in not inventing but um creating the first true modern food court you know right <laughs> i mean the warehouse is great to look at but really it's great because you've got utah street there and they just took it and turned it into you know a private street for for shopping for the orioles right um and that's really what you know what uh camden yards did to revolutionize stadium design way more than having a nice building to look at huh you know, I, I'm listening to all of this, and I'm thinking about um, last year, which was the 20th anniversary of Oriole Park at Camden Yards. 
they had this slogan that they were spouting every time they had the chance, which was the ballpark that forever changed baseball. Um, (laughs) And I'm wondering, hearing this, if there isn't a certain ironic tang to that, (laughs) uh, in that it didn't necessarily change baseball or American culture for the better. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 there's pros and cons, you know, and certainly from a design standpoint, the fact that we don't sure. have any more Metrodomes and we don't have any more, you know, uh, really any of those domes right. um, <laughs> is great, but it was a more sophisticated way of separating people from their money to some degree. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we're seeing the continuation of that today. So, so in, the, in the long run, you're saying then that... Uh, taxpayers do not immediately begin to reap the showering benefits of these new stadiums? Sadly, no. No. I mean, you know, at this point, I've got a Rolodex full of economists who, um, not a real Rolodex, (laughs) an Excel file full of economists. Still, who can say I've got a Rolodex full of economists? I mean, but, you know, I've got, there, there are innumerable economists who have looked at this and have, you know, tried to find any indication that sales tax revenue goes up for a city uh, per capita income goes up for a city anything good happens to a city when you build a new stadium and there's just no indication of it at all it's just flat lines hmm. um and you know there's a couple of reasons one is you're mostly shuffling money around you know if people first of all they're obviously the people who would have been going to orioles games anyway and spending it you know whatever that is two miles to the north um then there's the people who are going to orioles games who wouldn't have been otherwise they would have been spending the money somewhere it might not have been in baltimore but it might have been so you're not getting a huge boost and then there's the problem of what economists call leakage which is that if you're building a i don't know supermarket or something like that at least a lot of the money spent there goes to hire checkout people and you know people who are stocking the shelves and all of that really high percentage of the money you spend at a ball game goes to the owner and the players and they don't Mm. live there right so they take the money and you know take it back to wherever they live in florida or whatever and spend it there and it just gets sucked right out of the economy so you know there is a positive impact you know of of uh you know having more people come in and spend money but it's way way smaller than uh than the teams and the like the officials pretend and you know that's balanced out by the negative impact of we just took a whole bunch of money that otherwise could have been spent on you know anything and uh and sunk it into a ballpark right right okay so i'm i'm the owner of the uh jacksonville jaguars i'm sorry and yeah it's been a rough <laughs> couple of years uh but you've, alan you've been holding out on me <laughs> I, I want to head off to la and greener pastures um What's my game plan for rolling that out so that I don't get tarred and feathered? Well, fortunately, <laughs> you have a league and a commissioner who is there for you. So <laughs> the first thing you do is you call up Roger Goodell and you say, hey, <laughs> I want a new stadium but I, and I want to threaten to move to L.A., but I don't want to get killed (laughs) i want people to still like me after i get this new stadium so can you go out there and say uh oh well you know we're very concerned about the jacksonville jaguars uh, right you know uh financials yeah and you know we and we don't want to have to you know we don't want to see this team leave town you know that's the last thing that we would want um, and do the whole, uh, you know, Monty Python, uh, you know, be terrible thing for something to happen to these paratroopers, <laughs> Colonel. <laughs> right, right. Um, and 
then, you know, so that's the first part. <laughs> then you get, you know, the mayor to start saying that and start saying, oh, well, you know, we, you know, the... You know, our, our owner, Alan, has said that he's uh, he wants to stay in town, but, uh, you know, we can't uh, you know, obviously expect him to keep losing money year after year. Um, and Eventually, then... the, the players start tweeting, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, this is something that happened. No, I mean, it's yeah. silly, yeah. but this is what happened at Tampa Bay. You know, David right. Price starts tweeting like home playoff game and, and we can't even sell out. What is this? Right, right. Um, so, and then, you know, you start cycling through all the arguments, you know, there's the, we're going to move, there's the, it's a great economic benefit. There's, um, the old place is obsolete, which could mean anything from, <laughs> you know, the, the, I remember the A's like years ago were like complaining about how they couldn't sign anybody because the turf was all torn up from the Raiders, you right. know, <laughs> completely, you know, incomprehensible that you can solve this by any other problem you know <laughs> new set of turf a lot cheaper yeah. than a new stadium <laughs> that's right you could you could build it put new turf in ev- after every raiders game <laughs> anyway um so you know you just sort of keep cycling through those and see which one sticks and it may take years you know mm. um you know the twins took a good decade to get a new stadium the marlins took a good decade to get a new stadium but the great thing about it is if you're a sports team owner is you only have to win once Right. Right. You know, you yeah. can have lose nine years in a row and get your head beat in in the state legislature like uh, the Marlins did. And, you know, all you have to do is grab the gold ring one time yeah. and then you've got your stadium and you've got your money and everybody still hates you for Jeff Loria. But, right. <laughs> hey, you know, he can't have everything. He had a lot of reasons for that, I think, backed up over the years. But it is interesting hearing you say that because, you know, I'm sure he's providing a, a bit of a smokescreen for the Carl Polads of the world. Uh, is Carl Polad the owner of the Twins? Do, that, do I have that right? Yeah, um, I think that's right. Where, you know, they, they've gone through the same process in Twin Cities, and uh, the Twins have been terrible ever since Target right. Field opened. Right, but at least they're not the Marlins. Right. Yeah, I think I think the other Twin <laughs> owners are very happy to be able to point and say, well, we're, at least we're not the Marlins, you know? Yeah. So in the in the book, you, you delineate all, I mean, not just new stadiums, um, the ways in which luxury box seats and the ways in which private kickbacks and tax exemptions and the Orioles and the Ravens, for example, both being rent-free forever and ever in their stadiums um, are all sort of subsidies for ownership. At some point, do you, um, with all of these different subsidies and also all of the owners claiming um, that they're just barely eking it out every year or, in fact, (laughs) losing money, those poor guys. <laughs> What's the reality of that? I mean, I, I know some of it's just fancy bookkeeping for when they bring the auditors in to yeah. devalue the franchise. But at some point, can a professional sports franchise in 2013 exist on its own as a profitable structure without all of these smoke and mirrors? Um, yes and no. I mean, <laughs> well, you know, the problem, it's, it's a little bit like asking, you know, could a defense contractor still make money if they weren't selling $700 hammers, you know? Um <laughs> Yeah, but it's not the business that they're in. And, you know, right now the sports business has this sort of integral, you know, piece to it, which is that, you know, everybody's expecting that they're going to be getting subsidies and subsidized stadiums and, you know, the revenues right. from subsidized stadiums. So I think a team like, I don't know, let's pick the the A's are probably a decent example, you know. Um, you know, Lou Wolf on, to some degree has a, a legitimate gripe, which is, hey, all the other kids got one. And I have to sit and suffer here and figure out how to compete with the Rangers and the Mariners and the Astros and uh, who else might be getting that? The Angels, right? It's three of them got new stadiums. The other one got renovations. Um, and I've got dumpy old Oakland Coliseum. 
and which again I actually happen to like aside from Mount Davis I was just there this summer um, great and, place to be a yeah. starting pitcher yeah um, <laughs> and and a great place to see a ball game in terms of ambiance I have to say and I don't think that that uh, is a coincidence um, you know I think I think it has a lot to do with the fact that it's a stadium that was built in the 60s and not in the 90s yeah because you know there's nothing to do there except watch the ball game <laughs> and right. people really watch the ball game and come up with their own entertainment you know yeah. mm-hmm. so um you know it's it, it is a problem of how do you you know balance it out that some teams are getting a whole lot of money from the public and some teams are not but again it's not necessarily our problem as taxpayers or fans or any of that stuff i mean that's what you know revenue sharing and all those other things are supposed to be about to sort of balance it out between the, the haves and the have-nots um and you know i mean even if the A's were to get a new stadium or the Rays were to get a new stadium or, you know, when you look at when teams like the Pirates and the Reds and all these teams got new stadiums, they still weren't the Yankees, you know? Yep, right. Even when the Yankees didn't have a new stadium, they still weren't the Yankees. So, yep. you know, this you have to have some mechanism for balancing that all out. Um, and, you well, know, yeah, as, just to say, as you guys implied, I mean, it's not like any of these guys are really hurting. You know, it's not yeah. like anyone is losing fifty million dollars a year at this stuff. Well, and part of part of his calculus too has to be uh, right now he has somehow assembled um, an extremely successful team with no payroll. Uh, so he, I mean, his profits would be through the roof if he was to pull this off right now, hmm. uh, because he would, uh, you know, he would be locking himself in for all the benefits that you're going to reap from one of these new places over the next however many years. Um, Six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Until he> starts <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but then, you know, they can continue running the team on the shoestring budget that they have, uh, for the last few years. Um, so, I mean, especially when they're in the wild card. I mean, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, here's the pitch. Sam and I have developed a plan, uh-huh. uh, a complicated plan, lots of ins, lots of outs, uh-huh. Foolproof, to though. start the equivalent of a Kickstarter, uh-huh. get in 10 and $20 donations, $500 million to buy the Orioles off of Peter Angelos, convert it to a nonprofit, which is then in tandem working with the city of Baltimore to anchor it there as an institution. Do we give up too much leverage that way with the city of Baltimore to therefore run a successful franchise? Um, give up leverage meaning to the win, ability win. to like leave to pretend oh. that we're going to leave to pretend that we're going to like. You oh know. no, no! I mean, I think you can run a franchise without threatening to leave. You know, I mean, <laughs> you can certainly run a franchise without legitimately threatening to leave. I mean, you know, right. the, there are plenty of teams that. I mean, the Red Sox have never threatened to leave Boston as That's far true. as I know. That's and um, they have a crappy ballpark. Yeah. <laughs> Again, sorry, I, sorry. I, I, place is a dump. <laughs> there are things I like about it. There are things that are not so good. The, the, the seats in right field that face, like, Maine are not yeah. my favorite. But, you know. Um, but uh, Might see the rare flying lobster. <laughs> the, problem with, the problem with your plan is less that... Um, that it's it couldn't be that it couldn't work let's say um and more that you're going to get you're going to get stomped um right. because major league baseball is going to cut that off you know immediately i don't know if you guys know and i think it might have gotten mentioned in the book or maybe not um when joan crock who is uh ray crock's hmm. widow the the mcdonald's guy and in the 80s i want to say um the she tried to give the Padres to the city of San Diego along with a trust mm-hmm. fund mm-hmm. to operate the Padres for I don't know how many years it was supposed to last, but it was sort of going to end up being what you're talking about, right? You know, it was basically going to anchor the team to San Diego and say, okay, this is a public trust. It's you know, right? 
And, you know, there was no reason it couldn't have worked. I mean, you know, City of San Diego could have hired the, a competent team manager, just like um, there's a couple minor league teams. I think the Columbus yeah, Clippers. Triple um, A uh, team for uh, the, I think, in the Cardinals system. Maybe. There's a couple of them. Um, and, uh, you know, they hire a manager and they, you know, they run the team. Um, but Major League Baseball stepped in and said, no, can't do it. Hmm. You know, just we're not going to we're not going to let one of those in our club. Um, you know, it's the Packers model. Right. And the Packers are able to do it because they set it up in like 1926. They got there first. <laughs> they got there first before the NFL had any idea of that. it You know, could or should be telling uh, be telling, you know, teams what to do. Um, and um, and the uh, you know, the NFL would not allow that now. The MLB would not allow that now. I mean, it's just absolutely, you know, verboten. They wouldn't they wouldn't they wouldn't sell it to the trust even if they even if we raised the absurd amount of money that they would be asking for. In case right. In case you haven't noticed, um, sports leagues and MLB in particular <laughs> Good old boys are, <laughs> yeah, are way more interested in who's gonna be in their club uh-huh. than about the highest bidder. Right. Um so, you know, that's why John Henry owns the Red Sox and not uh, you know, any of the other folks who were trying, I guess Frank McCourt and Tom Werner were the ones, you know, right. Who, um, and that's why, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, 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 the Hamilton ball silly, um, doesn't own the coyotes, you know, because, uh, it's all about first you have to clear the screening process. And we have to decide <laughs> that we, you know, it's someone who we want in our club. And it, it's not just about, Oh, we want to be able to hang out with you. It's about, this is, you know, a serious business that, the entire value of it is that you're a monopoly and that you're a an exclusive club that nobody else can get into. Right. So, you know, they are very protective of that. And I think, you know, the thing that they would be afraid of if you guys pull off, you know, this Kickstarter thing is, wait, we're going to have like thousands of people and the city of Baltimore able to come to our meetings and look at our books. Right. Yeah. That's not going to make them happy. <laughs> right, 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 right. But then they'll know. That we're overcharging for Coors Light. <laughs> I, I would hope that everyone has figured that out. Um, do you think that the uh, that this particular club, I guess two questions, is susceptible in any way to public peer pressure? And then also, do you think that Peter Angelos is enough of a Baltimore Patriot slash has a little bit of the fuck you in him? to try to pull off something like Jane Croc did? Um, <laughs> not that. No. no. I mean, I, I, you, uh, Angelo certainly would, would do it if he could. <laughs> um, but I think that that's, that's a fight that, you know, you could not win. I mean, basically, baseball is afraid of one thing and one thing only, and that is its antitrust exemption getting taken away. Um, and huh. um, the, the people it is afraid of are not the fans particularly, because the fans... I, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, we really suck at revenge. You know, they go on <laughs> yeah. strike every once in a while and we say, oh, this is it. I'm done. I'm never going to a game again or steroids, scandals minutes. or like, you know, yep. anything. And then, you know, as soon as it's back, it's like, oh, wow, baseball's on, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so um, the, the they're not afraid of us. They are afraid of Congress. Uh-huh. And they are, you know, have been very careful to keep Congress happy and to, you know, l- lobby them and to give them whatever they need. Um, and that but that is really what scares them. You know, either Congress stepping in or somebody filing an antitrust suit with really with teeth. And that's why the Rays exist, because hmm. um, uh, Bob Lurie was 
going announced he was going to take the Giants and move to Tampa Bay in 92, 93, somewhere in there. Right. And uh, baseball stepped in and said, no, you're going to sell to Peter McGowan. And people in Florida, the, I think the Florida Attorney General, said, um, you know, we've got some really strong antitrust precedent here in Florida. We might want to file a lawsuit about that. And baseball very quickly said, hey, you know, this is a great time for some more expansion. <laughs> wow. And poof, the devil raised. Huh. That's fascinating. Yeah. So, yeah. okay, so final question for you. Sure. Um, in your 18 years of following this and in your encyclopedic knowledge of different stadium boondoggles, how, if at all, have you managed to remain a fan of professional sports? Um, I have. It's. <laughs> I think my relationship to sports is a little different than it was then. I mean, I already then, clearly, there were things that upset me. I mean, I was a Yankee fan at the time, so clearly there were lots of things that upset me about, about sports team management. Um, (laughs) But, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, you have to be able to separate out your fandom of your, of the sport and your distaste for it as an industry, you know? Uh Um, And, you know, I still go to games and I still enjoy rooting for the games. I have nothing against the players. You know, it's the same, it's the same way. How do you root for a player at the same time as you're mad at him that he's making $20 million and you don't think he deserves it. You right, know? right. Um, and you have to be able to separate that out or at least be aware of both of them simultaneously, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, Double think. Yeah. Um, or be, or you know, be. I mean, you know, I don't think I will ever be as pure a baseball fan as I was when I was 10 years old. I mean, I wouldn't sure. anyway. But, you know, but sure. also because, you know, I know too much now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, it's, I mean, sports is fun. If sports weren't fun and if watching sports weren't fun, they wouldn't be able to get away with all of this because yep. we wouldn't care about it. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I go to the games and I, you know, resent having to go to uh, stadiums that, you know, pay for tickets at stadiums that I already paid for through my taxes. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know. It's and I make jokes, you know. I go to the new Yankee Stadium and I see a crack in the concrete. I'm like, oh, this place is falling down. I've got to build a new one. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I, I also think you really kind of uh, maybe nailed it um, when you said that thing about uh, how you felt about the game when you were ten. I mean, in a way, that's what they have in their back pocket on us uh, at some right. level psychologically. Is that we've all loved it since we were ten, and uh, watching it and interacting with it in some way takes us back there. And that's the thing that they can always lord over us at the end of the day is we could take this away from you. But they're capitalizing in a very capitalist sort of way on that emotion, goddammit. And that's the thing, you know, that that really gets to me is that, you know, that you, you know, the team runs on the field and it's like, and now you're Baltimore Orioles and they're your Baltimore (laughs) Orioles up until the moment that it's a matter of, you know, something around the stadium or moving or something like that. And it's like, well... This is a business, guys. Right. And, you know, I mean, right. they, they, look, they're very perfectly capable of holding both those things in their heads at the same time. And I think, you know, we as fans need to as well say, okay, you know, we realize that we're in this for the fun, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we really, really, you know, are okay with you stepping all over us. Embrace the double think, Baltimoreans. <laughs> Embrace it. Love it. It's the delicious. Book, the book is called Field of Schemes. Uh, I highly recommend reading it. It has... Uh, put a series of questions into my head which I may never be able to unask. <laughs> the blog is also Field of Schemes, fieldofschemes.com and Neil, thanks so much for coming on talking to us today. It has been a pleasure. Appreciate it.
You're listening to Baltimore on the home of the all-weather fan. This is Alan Smith. This is Sam Dingman. And we uh, are wrapping up this episode with a few things that we should have been mentioned uh, a while back. Now, intern Scotty, mm. who, ha- as you all know, is our tried-and-true reporter and... Oh, uh, he's tried. Uh, uh, <laughs> quality control maven here at Houdini Studios, um, has been <laughs> maven off for the summer at intern camp. Um, splashing around with all the other interns and having a grand old time, but he's back and has been listening through to some old episodes. Oof. And uh, we, he, he's 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 given me a note that I feel like I need to share with you all, mm-hmm. which uh, basically just says, "Stop talking about John Mayer." <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scotty, you never should have left. <laughs> you know what happens. <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, he also wanted to point out that the uh, entire idea of Alan being in Sri Lanka last week was entirely unbelievable. Um, are you are you saying, Alan, that you weren't in Sri Lanka? No, I'm saying I was in Sri Lanka. <laughs> okay, as long as you're sticking to your story. Right, because uh, as Scotty points out, the Toyota Corolla um, is embargoed in the war-torn area of Sri Lanka and well, couldn't exist there. Everyone knows that. <laughs> Everyone is well acquainted with the, you know, the kind of economic ballet <laughs> that takes place on the geopolitical scene. I don't, I don't really think we need to spell that out for people. Jeez, Scotty. Well, it's good to have him back. Uh, you and clearly just meant a Corolla-esque vehicle. <laughs> or a, a vehicle with similar sound quality to the Toyota Corolla. Yeah. And and uh, who is to say you didn't hijack a Toyota Corolla in Bahrain <laughs> and drive it to Sri Lanka? You were clearly involved in some kind of vaguely revolutionary situation. I won't ask you to compromise anybody here. Well, you do know that Sri Lanka is an island, right? Again, <laughs> everyone knows that. Sure, of course. Everyone knows that as well as everyone knows about the invisible bridge. <laughs> That connects Bahrain to Sri Lanka. You have to pay. You have to pay the the um, the flying lobster at one end of the bridge, and then he allows you to answer a riddle, and then you are allowed to take your contraband Japanese-made automobile across the bridge. This is if stuff that everyone knows. If you have any objections knows. with what we're saying so far, please send us an email. Lord knows, Scotty does. Uh, at baltimoreonspodcast at gmail.com. Give us a call. 909 Rib Wars. Leave us a voicemail. Tweet at us. At B Morons. Or why not at A Smith for our time? Why not at Sam Dingman? You have choices. We have we we want to give you options here at Baltimoreons, the home of the all weather fan. That's right. That is right. And in our deep in our deepest hearts, we want to give you the Orioles. As a public option. But ah. as we've learned on the show tonight, probably not going to happen. We're back to the drawing board on that one, but don't worry, Baltimoreans. We will continue to pursue all legal and political action that is at our disposal. <laughs> uh, and I have not yet given up hope that soon, soon, the Baltimore Orioles will be owned by you, the taxpayer. We will have updates for you on episode 63 next week. Until then, please remember, 
that the music on the show <laughs> was provided by Marshall York on the theme song, Weather Report, who play the song. But what? I should just write this down. <laughs> Why don't I just write it down? You know what? It's actually a weekly, uh, it, it's one of those weekly exercises in finding different ways through the same material. It's yeah. about keeping it fresh yeah. and keeping it exciting. And it's fun to imagine the listeners collectively smacking their foreheads <laughs> every time I start this ungodly stretch of text. And in fact, knowing the answers before you do. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Weather Report plays the song Birdland, which plays between <laughs> segments here on the show. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's another one too. Kicking, Kicking my heart, heart around by the, <laughs> maybe I should just let you do black crows. Yep. Uh, thank you very much to our guest, Neil DeMoss. Please check out his blog and his Twitter and his book. That's fieldofschemes.com. Yes, it is. My name is Sam Dingman. This is Alan Smith. We'll talk to you next week. Baltimoreans is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find, find more podcasts like this at baltimoresportsreport.com.